Please bow with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning as your people who are in need of your word. And so we pray you'd humble us to receive your word now. Lord, I pray you'd use me to faithfully preach your word, to preach what is true, Lord, uh, to clearly preach the gospel, that your son Jesus would be exalted and that your people would be built up and edified. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Where you look for all will shape the direction of your life. Where you look for all will shape the direction of your life. It's words I recently read in a book from Paul David Tripp, and the message of his book was helpful for, for me in reminding that God created a world full of his awesome wonder. We've been thinking about that in our series uh, in Genesis. And we take a break today in John 1, but we'll see the same glorious truth, that God created a world full of his awesome wonder, his glory on display in creation, revealing himself in his holiness, in his wisdom, in his power, in, in joy, that everything in creation, everything he designed and, and perfectly created by the power of his word is meant to point us to him. So that when we look at creation, and our breath is taken away by a beautiful sunset, that we would think, how great is our God? That we'd be filled with awesome wonder in Him. God created us. He created us with this capacity to be amazed. He designed us to be filled with awe and wonder in Him. But our problem is far too often that we stand in awe of other things besides God. Far too often we gaze in the mirror instead of in the reflection of God and His glory or the truth of His Word. Uh, far too often we, we fix our gaze on material things, locked in on money, standing in awe of, of career paths and relationships, or maybe even discontent with the lack of relationship. Far too often we gaze at ourselves, our reputation, other people's view of us. And the problem and the danger with that misplaced awe is that it quickly leads us to a place of discontentment, to a place of selfishness, to a place of dissatisfaction. Well, the answer to all of that is to look away from ourselves and to stand in awe of Jesus. Well, how often do you stand in awe of Jesus? what we come to do on Sunday morning. We call it the Lord's Day. We meet on Sunday morning, the day that Jesus got up from the dead. He, he rose from the dead on a Sunday morning, risen in glory, reigning, hopefully one day returning. We look forward to that return. We come together on Sunday mornings to collectively, corporately fix our gaze upon the beauty and power and wonder of Jesus and the hope and the prayers that would grow our appetite to continue to gaze upon Jesus every day. All of our days belong to Him. He is our Lord, our Savior, and King. He is worthy of awe and reverence and worship. It is our joy, and indeed, we won't find life apart from giving Him glory. So I ask, how often do you gaze upon the beauty of Jesus? How often does your heart meditate on His awesome love and power? How often are you amazed at the wonders of his love. Well, as we prepare this week to celebrate Christmas, 
It's important that we remember that that Christmas is not merely about a, a day to celebrate, but a person to adore. We want to know true joy this Christmas and peace this Christmas. It needs to be more than just a day to celebrate. It needs to be about a person to adore and to stand in awe of the wonders of His love. Well, I'm hard-pressed to think of a better passage that would do that, that would draw our minds to adore and stand in awe of Jesus than what we plan to look at this morning in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John begins his gospel with what's often referred to as the most profound opening of any book ever written. That's a high accolades, but I think it's true. I don't think we're let down by the prologue in the Gospel of John. These first few verses of the Gospel of John are power-packed, and they make it unmistakably clear who Jesus is and what He came to do. And the end result, John's intent is that we would believe. And that if you're a Christian here this morning, you might think, yes, I know that. I know John 1. Got it memorized, heard it for years. It's awesome. Don't be so familiar with it that you don't stand in awe of Jesus this morning. You aren't captivated by his glory and his power and his love. As we consider who Jesus is and what he came to do, may we be strengthened to stand in awe of Jesus. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to John 1, verses 1 through 5. If you want to take that pew Bible right in front of you, that's on page 886. Page 886 of your pew Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 this morning. And if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, we want to give that Bible to you. Take that with you. Take it home. Read it. Come back and talk to one of us here. We'll be at the top of the ramp on the way out. We'd love to read the Bible with you or connect with someone here that would read God's Word with you. Let me read through all of John, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1 as we begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, the Gospel of John, written by John, the son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And so that means he was handpicked by Jesus himself. John, an eyewitness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, authorized by Jesus himself to author a significant part of the New Testament, that we might know who Jesus is and what he's done. And the main point of the Gospel of John is pretty simple. The entire Gospel, really all all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their point is this, Jesus is the Son of God. It's the point of the Gospel. It, It makes its way. It's not a biography of the life of Jesus. What it does, rather, is makes its way very quickly to the cross of Jesus Christ. What he came to do was to die to save, to forgive us of our sins if we would repent and trust in Him, to bring peace from God and wisdom from God and salvation from His throne. So so pretty simply put, that's the point of the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. And John makes this abundantly clear in the beginning of his gospel. And he wants us to see that as the Son of God, Jesus is fully God and fully man. We need to know who Jesus is, who it is that we've placed our faith in. Or if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
to know that Jesus is, is more than just an important teacher in history, as we heard earlier from, from Pastor Johnny. Jesus didn't come to be an ethics teacher. He didn't come to be a good example. He didn't come just merely to inspire us to live a better life and to try harder and to be nicer individuals. He came to die. He came to save us. He came to do something that we couldn't possibly do on our own, which is make us right with God. Well, as you read through the Gospel of John, you, you can't miss this identity of who John is. It's not ambiguous. It's not unclear. As you can certainly debate who you think Jesus is, but it's not debatable who John presents him to be. He presents him to be fully God and fully man. And we'll see that in the first five verses of John's Gospel today. This introduction I mentioned, a profoundly beautiful introduction, and really the first 18 verses are known as the prologue to the Gospel of John, which really is a type of summary of the whole message of the Gospel. And we find here in this introduction something that helps us understand the meaning of Christmas. Well, the main idea of the message this morning that I want you to get is this. Knowing Jesus as the eternal Word helps us see how much we have been given. Knowing Jesus as the eternal Word helps us see how much we have been given. We're going to be spending our time in these first five verses this morning, and there's two parts to the outline this morning. And really what I want you to see are two ways Jesus is presented. The first way Jesus is presented in verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the Word. That's how John first presents Jesus in verses 1 through 3. Jesus is the Word. Well, the beginning of the Gospel of John, it stands out amongst the other four Gospels in the New Testament. So if you go to the beginning of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, John's going to start off in a very different way than the other authors of the New Testament Gospels. If you look at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, he reaches all the way back to Abraham. So a genealogy, and we've looked at that quite a few times in our series in Genesis. Mark, who was the earliest gospel we believe to be written, he begins with John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. That's kind of how far back he stretches in history. Uh, the gospel of Luke, he stretches back to the birth of John the Baptist. And then Luke chapter 2, very familiar at Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And John really outdoes them all. He goes way further back than John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus and Abraham. He goes back to the time before time, the beginning of creation. He takes a tremendous leap into eternity past for us to find Jesus, helping us know that the story of Jesus doesn't be, uh, begin excuse me, in Bethlehem. The story of Jesus begins in eternity past. Important for us to know. John's gospel begins the same way that the book of Genesis does in Genesis 1-1 with the phrase, in the beginning. In fact, John echoes Genesis chapter 1-1 where we read, in the beginning God created in Genesis 1. John uses that same phrase, in the beginning, to start his gospel off and he takes us all the way back to the beginning of creation. Now, we know from our, our study, we've been in Genesis for most of this past year, that the beginning refers to a point in time at the beginning of the universe, which was the beginning of everything except for God. We know from Genesis chapter 1, 1, that in the beginning, on the other side of the starting point of the universe stood God. As the Creator, He has always 
existed. And now John adds in this New Testament gospel another important detail. He introduces a new title here. We see it capitalized there in verses 1 through 5, the title, The Word. And John stated, yes, God stood there on the other side of history, at the beginning of the universe. Everything had a beginning except for God, but also, John states, the Word was also there in the beginning. So at first, John keeps the reader in suspense as to who the Word is, but down in verse 14, he makes it abundantly clear, the Word is a title given to Jesus. In verse 14, he gives a concise yet beautifully rich statement that describes to us what happened that first Christmas, as he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, now why this unique title, The Word? I mean, it would have been a lot more simple if John just said, you know, in the beginning was Jesus. And then you wouldn't have to, well, who's the word? And what does the word mean? But there's a purpose here. You see, John didn't come up with the term word. That term's embedded in, in Greek philosophy and culture, as well embedded in vocabulary found in the Old Testament. So the original audience that John was writing to, both Hebrew and Greek, would have been very familiar with this term. And John uses this term, the Word, as a title for Jesus that's filled with meaning from the Old Testament. Really, Really, two things that are highlighted in this title, creation and revelation. The Word brings to mind creation, and it brings to mind revelation. In Jesus, we find creation and revelation. So, the Word would have brought to mind creation. How did God create? By the power of His Word. He said, let there be light, and there was light. No one else creates by the power of their word. But God speaks, and things get created. This title also would have brought to mind revelation, that God reveals himself through his word. We've been looking at this this past fall, the life of Abraham, and God revealing himself to Abraham through his word, giving Abraham direction and wisdom and clarity, and promises, telling Abraham to follow and listen to his word. So the word was understood as God's revelation of himself. God makes himself known and seen and heard through his word. Now you put all of this together, that the word creates, the word reveals, and that Jesus is the word. That helps us know this. Jesus is the one through whom God the Father created and revealed himself. To know Jesus, says John, is to know God. By starting off his gospel in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, John is saying in the beginning, at the beginning of human history, beginning of the history of creation of the world, the word already existed. Before the universe existed, Jesus existed. He's always existed. There there never was a time that he was not. And as verse 1 continues, we learn that the word was with God. Now, that word with means you're close to someone. It's, It's language of relationship to be with someone. So, Jesus was with God before the creation of the world. They pre existed creation together. It's beautiful here that John distinguishes Jesus, the eternal Son of God, from God the Father. And at the same time, he says Jesus was with God. It communicates this this close, personal relationship. Well, brother and sister in the Lord, meditate on that truth. 
When you consider this truth about Jesus, that he always was with God, does that make you think and draw your mind to who has had more time with God the Father besides Jesus? If we want to draw close to God the Father, this is the one who's had more time with God the Father than anyone, for they've always existed together as one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. John goes into the second person of the Trinity here. I know there's all kinds of uh, illustrations that people may use to try to explain the Trinity. I think all of those fall short. We're better off just to use what John reveals here in John chapter 1. Jesus in the beginning was with God. Jesus was God. It's the mystery of the Trinity. It blows our mind. It's so awesome and full of wonder, yet clear and unmistakable to know who Jesus is. Well, when you consider that truth, who has had more time with the Father than the Son, Jesus? It's the joy of Christmas that we can draw near to God because in Jesus we know Emmanuel, God with us. God made the move, pursuing us, bringing his presence to us. If we want to know joy and peace that comes from the throne of God, we must know Jesus. Well, finally, this potent sentence in verse 1, it ends with telling us that the word was God. One person summarized it in this way. This means that Jesus is identical with God, yet at the same time, distinguishable from him. John uses just a few words to explain this glorious truth that Jesus is God. Jesus wasn't merely like God. He is God. And John sums it all up in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Again, John makes it unmistakably clear who Jesus is in chapter 1. He's the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. He always existed. Before creation, He was with the Father. It is not controversial to say that Jesus was fully man. No one will argue with that. Historians who are not Christians are not going to question. It's really not uh, an intellectual pursuit, to, uh, a credible one anyways, to say that Jesus never existed as a, a man, a, a person. I think we can see that very clearly in, in history. The, the debate comes down to, was Jesus fully God? And John makes it really clear. It's not hard to figure out. You can debate it if you want, but it's very clear and plain here. Jesus is fully God and fully man worthy of worship, worthy of our awe and reverence and respect. Well, with that established, John goes on in verse 3 to show the creative power of the Word. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So the Word was the same God who created the universe. Again, very clear, Jesus is the Creator. Through the Word, The Father created the entire universe. All things except for God were created by the Word. Nothing we see around us exists apart from Jesus. So Again, there's no reason to be confused on who Jesus is. John makes it clear. He wants you to know that Jesus is God. This is not hard to figure out. The question is, do you believe this? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And you can't put your faith in Jesus if you don't truly know who he is. You see, John writes the gospel so that people would believe. Believe that Jesus is God. That people would believe that Jesus has authority over all of creation. 
And if you understand that Jesus has authority of all of creation, that will lead to you worshiping Him and submitting your life to Him in faith. You see, because Jesus is the Creator, He has authority over all of creation, and that means He has authority over you. We've got a few baptisms that are coming, Lord willing, later on in the service, and every one of those testimonies are testimonies of God's saving grace of taking people who are in rebellion against God. All of us begin our lives. We're born into this world sinful in rebellion against God. And you're in rebellion against God because He has authority over you. Son Jesus, authority over you. You've either submitted to Him or living in rebellion to God. Because Jesus is the Creator, we are called to bow down and to worship Him. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we are so glad you've come. Uh, we, we welcome you to be here with us every Sunday. We're glad that you're here with you. Coming to church and listening to sermons from God's Word, listening to us sing, watching baptisms, and listening to testimonies of God's saving grace will help you know who God is and what He's done in Jesus. But, but what I want you to know this morning, what I want to challenge you to do is to, to know who Jesus is. Keep coming and hearing sermons. Keep reading the Bible. Keep talking to people here in this church and having conversations. Bring your questions about who God is and what He's done in Jesus. And don't miss the message we proclaim. Jesus is God. The only way to know God, the only way to go to heaven and be with Him at the end of this life, the only way to receive forgiveness of your sins against a holy God, the only way to know true righteousness and joy and freedom from sin and peace in this life and forevermore is to know this Jesus. Well, for Christians here this morning, I mentioned this at the beginning, we, we all may be very familiar with John chapter 1. You may have it memorized. I even was hanging out with a member of this church this morning who has one of those verses tattooed on his arm. Right? That's how familiar you might be able to be with John chapter 1. But it should be our prayer and it should be our aim that familiarity with the Scriptures would lead to faith in God. We wouldn't merely just be familiar, but rather have strengthened faith in God and in all that He is for us in Christ Jesus, His Son. May that be our aim, to stand in awe of Jesus and who He is and what He's done for us. And I wonder if that's what's being stirred up in your mind and your heart right now. John's aim is for belief and for Christians for strengthened belief. The one who's fully God and fully man. Jesus who's full of power, who created the universe and all that is in it. This living word, Jesus, Christian, he loves you. This is the one who has drawn near to you. This is the one who's willingly died on the cross and risen from the dead for you and for your salvation. If you've put your faith in Jesus, his presence is with you now. From the moment you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you have the spirit of Christ, his presence in you, with you, guiding you. This one who was in the beginning with God is with you, living inside of you. This one who's had more time with God the Father than anyone else, he's brought you near to God. He's ushered you into the presence of God. Through faith in Jesus, you've been taken from an enemy of God to part of his family, adopted into his family. And when you meditate on that truth, when you meditate on that gospel reality, it will change your outlook on this life. It will change your outlook today. It will change your hope for tomorrow. 
your anxieties, your fears, your troubles, your trials, your challenges will find rest in Him. Well, have you considered that, that maybe the source of your discontentment is that you aren't satisfied in Jesus? Maybe the source of your envy or your bitterness, jealousy, is that you need to look to Christ. That you need to stop looking at creation and look to the Creator. Brother and sister in the Lord, keep meditating. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep being strengthened in who Jesus is and what He's done. And walk in the peace of knowing Jesus, how awesome He is. Worthy of us standing of awe in Him. And as you fix your eyes on Jesus, filled with His presence, know that He is with you today, tomorrow, and forever. What's considered next in verses 4 through 5, John presents Jesus in a second way. Jesus is the light. So we see Jesus is the Word, and here we see Jesus is the light. On verses 4 through 5, John continues to reference themes from the book of Genesis with darkness, light, and life. We see this in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, now John introduces this theme of of life right away in the gospel, right here in the very beginning. And, And the word life appears in the gospel of John more than any other New Testament book. Later on in John 14, verse 6, famous words of Jesus that you might recall, Jesus calls Himself the life. What does He say? I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus revealed Himself as the life, and John just keeps going on and on and on in His gospel about Jesus being the source of life. Now, because Jesus has always existed, because Jesus created everything, Jesus is the source of life, both physical life and spiritual life. Life which is temporary here on earth, that's physical life, and spiritual life, which is eternal, which will last forever. In the book of Genesis, we see these same themes. But there's a difference in the book of Genesis and creation. In Genesis, light comes before life. On day one, let there be light. Day five and six, we start to see animal life, marine life, birds. And then on day six, the crown jewel of creation, human life, Adam and Eve, made in the very image of God. It wasn't until day six that we see human life created. Here in John, though, it's it's, it's different. It's the opposite order. In John, life comes before light. And life brings light. At the end of verse 4, we read, the life was the light of men. And the light is a different symbol. It communicates the same truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Creation was an act of life and light But John shows that life and light always has been about Jesus. Life came from Him, light came from Him, and he proclaims that life 
and light can only be found in Jesus. Let's think about this a little bit more. In a, in a spiritual sense, light refers to the truth. Light refers to, to knowing the truth, while, while darkness refers to living in falsehood, living in lies. Light refers to holiness, and darkness refers to sin, to immorality. Life belongs to God. John says in his epistle in 1 John, God is light, and in Him there is no what? There is no darkness at all. Light belongs to God, and darkness belongs to Satan. To know God is to know light. To know God is to find life, spiritual life, eternal life that will last forever. And while verses 1 through 3, they tell us who Jesus is, verses 4 and 5 start to explain more of what it is that Jesus came to do. Why did Jesus come down to earth? According to John here in these verses, to bring life and light. The light of Jesus came in order for the life of Jesus to transform us. Jesus came to bring life to the dead, spiritual life, eternal life to the spiritually dead. He came to bring light to those in darkness. Now, darkness, it's the absence of light. And the metaphor of darkness, it describes the, the spiritual condition that all people are born into and need to be rescued from, slavery to sin. We commit sins because we're sinners. Far too often the world focuses on, on sins in the plural and then suggests, well, if you can just clean up your act and stop lying and stop cheating and stop living in ways that are unkind, if you can clean up those sins, you'll be okay. The Bible tells us that we're born in darkness. We're born sinners. Ephesians 2, chapter 1, and you were dead in your sins. We commit sins because of a condition of our heart, a condition we can't possibly change by just trying to do better in 2022, a condition that can only be changed by life and light that comes from Jesus. John makes it clear, Jesus came to rescue people from darkness, to rescue people from bondage to sin and Satan. Jesus came to call people from death to life. Well, just as Jesus called himself the life in John 14, 6, he also called himself the light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, we read this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came to shine light and to darkness. That's what we read in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, the living Word, came down to earth, conceived of the Virgin Mary, a miraculous birth. He came down to earth and took on flesh and lived in a dark world to shine light into darkness. He is the one who shines light into dark, sinful hearts, revealing the glory of God, revealing the truth of God, redeeming and saving people through faith in Him. You see, the, the difficulty of living in a, a fallen world is that sometimes it can feel like the darkness is prevailing. Sometimes it can seem like darkness is winning. We looked at no further than recent news headlines, stories of tremendous darkness, 
murder, hatred. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough two years. People are acting crazy. They are. What's, what's built up on the inside, darkness, is just coming out and it's manifesting itself, not in new ways in human history, but maybe in new ways than we've seen in, in recent history, in our own experience. You see, the difficulty of living in a fallen world, it can seem sometimes like darkness is winning. We live in a world where there is suffering and loss, evil and darkness, pain, death, evil, malice, anger. And in those moments, we can be tempted to despair, to feel like darkness might be winning. Well, verse 5 provides hope, hope that is found in Jesus. Verse 5, it looks forward to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, don't miss this, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome light. Jesus came and brought light. He came to save. He accomplished that through His sacrificial death on the cross, willingly laying down His life, taking the wrath of God and His judgment for sin upon His own shoulders, bringing forgiveness of sins to anyone who would trust in Him. Three days later, He got up from the dead, showing that His payment for sin on the cross is sufficient to satisfy God's judgment and wrath. It may have seemed there, especially to Jesus' disciples, there at the hill on Calvary, like darkness won. That was their hope in Jesus. And they went into hiding, and they ran away, scared and afraid, Peter denying Jesus three times, just like Jesus told him he, he would. It may have seemed like darkness was winning. Hope was lost. And three days later, came the glorious light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The darkness did not overcome Jesus. Notice that in verse 5, the word shines is in the present tense. Why is it in the present tense? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He died. He was physically buried, but He did not remain dead. Jesus rose from the dead. His light shines. The reason John used the present tense of shines is because Jesus is reigning right now from His throne in heaven as King. His light shines right now. Today, this morning, in and through our hearts, the light of Jesus shines in the hearts of those who've put their faith in Jesus. If you're in Christ, this brings joy. We find life in, in Him. It brings a warning to us as well. Don't wander away. Don't let your gaze and your affections and your awe and your wonder wander away from Jesus. Don't go looking for life away from Jesus. Don't turn back to ways that God saved you from. You will not find life apart from anything or anyone outside of Jesus. And so I I wonder, brother and sister in the Lord, where are you looking for life outside of Christ? We mentioned some of those earlier in the introduction. Maybe it's success in your job. Maybe it's your relationship status. Maybe you're looking for life in your marriage, your family. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Family is a wonderful thing, but it's not to be, meant to be your source of life. Receive it as a gift from God. If God has so given it to you, He's given it to you for a moment, enjoy it, thank God for it, but don't build your life on that relationship status. Rather, see who marriage points to, Jesus. 
and finding life in Him. Maybe you're looking for life and a good reputation with others. And you may attain all those things, but I think once you attain them, you probably will realize life isn't found there. Rather than continuing on in worldly pursuits of trying to find life, look to the one who reigns above this world. Look to the one who created this world. Look to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, we're so glad you've come here. We want you to know the true story of Christmas. We have lots of traditions that we do at Christmas, lots in our families and in their individual homes, I'm sure, that we celebrate. We come this morning to be reminded of the hope that's found in Jesus, that the one who came was conceived of the Virgin Mary who was born in Bethlehem, that he grew up and lived the perfect life that honored God and perfectly obeyed his commands, and he died on the cross. We connect the manger in Bethlehem to the, cro- to the cross on the hill in Calvary to the empty tomb. We find our life in Jesus Christ. We want you to know this Jesus. Talk to someone who brought you here today. Talk to them more of what it would look like to put your faith in Jesus. I'd love to talk to you more. Like I said, I'll be up front actually right here after the service. Since it's raining today, I'll be right here. Would love to talk to you more about who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, with this wonderful meditation on Jesus, the word, I'm not going to leave us without skipping down again to verse 14, where we see the glorious truth of Christmas. When the eternal Son of God, the Word, left the riches of heaven, sapphire-paved courts for stable floor, He came down to earth. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is in a category of His own. There is no one like Him. May we stand in awe of Him. May we stand in awe of the wonder of His love, of His power and His grace. May we remember this Christmas, that this is not merely a day to celebrate, but Christmas is about a person to adore. One person put it like this, would you give something so precious to people like us? Would you be as generous as God in giving so much to people who deserve so little. It's the joy of Christmas. It's the joy that we have in Jesus. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. May we fix our eyes on Him. Let's pray.